Blog Talk Radio. Well, good evening, and welcome to another episode of A Sound Heart Radio. Uh, Tonight, we're going to be studying uh, Jesus, our mercy seat. We're going to be studying about what uh, the mercy seat is, and we're going to more specifically uh, just lead out uh, the details of this very important Bible doctrine. So with that, uh, let us have a word of prayer and begin our study for this evening. We do thank you, Heavenly Father, for the opportunity to meet with your saints. We ask to be guided by the Holy Spirit of God, who is the author of the scriptures. And Lord, we pray that they are, there are no unconfessed sins in our hearts so that we might understand your word. And we do thank you for the presence of the Spirit, and we do thank you that according to 1 John 1, 9, that if we, we would confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, uh, so I'm going to be reading uh, from uh, the book of Exodus. And I want uh, you to understand that the first five books of the Bible are a unit uh, and the author uh, is Moses. So uh, please understand that. And uh, during the 19th century, so-called uh, higher criticism attempted uh, to state that or show or demonstrate that the first, uh, these first books of the Bible were indeed uh, – the result of different uh, writers uh, over a certain period of time. And, but the evidence, the internal evidence, uh, does not support such wild theories. And uh, with the, uh, the documents that were found uh, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, uh, we have the added uh, assurance that what we have, what God has provided for us, is enough, is enough. And that, uh, uh, so we have God's word at our disposal. Now, I say that uh, because there, there have been some podcasts of persons stating that uh, now that the Vatican is closed, they these people... Uh, the Vatican Library has now been opened, and there has been discovered that there are over uh, like 700 some books that were not that were discovered in the Vatican Library that were not included in our Bible. So I know what it takes to study the 66 books that God has provided for us. 
And, you know, these people who make such irresponsible statements can really overthrow the faith of some saints. So uh, I just want you to be assured that we have God's uh, completed revelation. That is what God wanted us to know and to understand at our disposal. So when you hear these things or you hear about people having dreams or people saying that the tribulation has started or the rapture is close, uh, I want you not to get excited by these things because the reason why we have First and Second Thessalonians is to provide for us uh, through the word of God that there are indeed people who want to hurt the, uh, the faith of the saints. And they want you, uh, they don't want your soul or your souls to be stable uh, in the word. That's why they make such sensationalistic claims because the good shepherd is not going to lead his people in a way that deprives them of peace. Remember Psalm 23, he restores my soul. And he leads me besides the waters of quietness. But if you give your ear to these people, and believe me, there are people today who have itching ears that want to be tickled. They want to hear novelty. They want to hear uh, strange new doctrines. And so they will follow uh, these false teachers into perdition. So don't do it. I'm telling you now, don't do it. Be at peace with what God has provided for us. And if they say that here, uh, there are signs of this happening or that happening, uh, go back to the Word. Go back to the Word, study the Word, and uh, see what God has uh, has to say about that uh, that particular situation. Now, in Exodus 24, uh, also in Exodus 25, uh, so the, we have the offerings for the tabernacle, the tabernacle uh, in the wilderness. So, uh, verse 1, quote, The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from each man whose heart prompts him to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them, gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skin dyed red, and hides of sea cows, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod, and breast of peace. Then have them make a sanctuary for me. And the Hebrew uh, reads Mishkan, that is a dwelling place. And I will dwell among them. 
Let me read that again. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Have them make a, uh, a chest of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, a cubit and a half wide, and a cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold, both inside and out, and make a gold molding around it, four gold rings for it, and fasten them to its four feet, with two rings, one on each side, and two rings on the other. Then make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the chest to carry it. The poles are to remain in the rings in this ark. They are not to be removed. Then put in the ark of the testimony, which I will give you. Verse 17, make an atonement cover of pure gold two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide and make two cherubim out of hammered gold at the ends of the cover. Make one cherub on one end and the second cherub on the other. Make the cherubim of one piece with the cover at the two ends. The cherubim are to have their wings spread upward overshadowing the cover with them. The cherubim are to face each other, looking toward the cover. Place the cover on top of the ark and put in the ark the testimony which I will give you. There, above the cover, between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the testimony, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. Unquote. So uh, these first 22 verses are, are very important for us to understand. And it is interesting to note that uh, one chapter in Genesis is used to record the details of creation. Just one chapter. But uh, it takes 15 chapters uh, or 15 chapters are required to record the details uh, of the sacred building and uh, the, the system that is to support it. So this is a very important chapter uh, for us to understand, especially now note what God wants uh, to be made first is the ark. So the ark uh, was uh, three and three-quarters three feet long, and the width was two and, more, uh, two and a quarter feet, and the height of the ark was two and a quarter feet. So uh, it was a, a chest or a box. But then we have, uh, in verse 17, the atonement cover. 
And this was of pure gold. Now, in verse 10, it reads, quote, have them make a chest of acacia wood. So acacia wood is, is practically indestructible. And acacia wood here is a type of the perfect humanity of Christ. So, and then we, we go down to verse uh, 17. You read about the atonement cover. Uh, it is to be of pure gold, uh, two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide. Uh, this cover over the chest or ark is called, uh, it is the mercy seat. Now, uh, and then we have the cherubim on, on each side of this mercy seat. The Shekinah glory uh, was to meet, uh, in verse 22, God says, I will meet you uh, there above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the testimony or the word, I will meet with you. So, God is teaching his people or God teaches, uh, is teaching his people about his redemptive purposes. So God has a plan for his people. Please read 1 Corinthians 3, uh, 18 through 20. So, and note what God says in verse, uh, in verse 9. Quote, make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you, unquote. Now, remember the instructions that God gave to Noah in the building of the ark. God provided uh, him with what he needed. And here, God is doing the same thing. God says, make the furnishings exactly. Exactly. Make the tabernacle and the furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Uh, God leaves nothing to chance. Everything in God's plan, uh, the, and so there are very detailed instructions given uh, that God gives through Moses to his people. And there are artisans that are, that will, uh, be involved in this in this project. They will work for God. They will carry out uh, what God wants done. They will not deviate uh, from uh, the pattern or the archetype that God has provided. And I love the fact that uh, that God is so detailed, and so His plan of salvation has such details. Uh, regarding us. So, once again, so the materials were supplied by the people's offering, and including three metals, uh, colored fabrics, animal skins, wool, oil, and precious stones. So all was by divine direction. Now, uh, since this, this box was overlaid with pure gold, once again, it denotes uh, Christ's perfect humanity. It held a pot of manna, the Ten Commandments, and later uh, Aaron's rod that budded. So the ark 
uh, envisions Christ as having God's law in his heart. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And so this ark uh, and the, the, the lid and the box are designed to teach people God's word uh, visually. They can see, they can understand uh, what God is doing. Now, note, this, uh, the, uh, this is going to be placed in, within the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies. And so uh, only once a year would the high priest be allowed to go into this room and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. The sprinkling of blood anticipates the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so the, the wood represents his perfect humanity. The gold represents his deity. And so it is a picture of the Theanthropos, the God-man, our Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, the pot of manna represents uh, Jesus as the bread of life. As the bread of life, he provides satisfaction. If we follow him according to the scripture, if we follow the word of God and do the word of God, and we feed on Christ for spiritual nourishment, then he will bring satisfaction into our lives. And so you and I are enjoying constantly feeding on Jesus, the manna from heaven. He is our manna. Then there is the word, uh, the Ten Commandments. And so this is God's law. And it, it is law from which there is no recourse. The Ten Commandments show the weakness of man and the perfection of God because no one could keep the ten words or do ten commandments. And by keep, I mean uh, do what the, what the law uh, is, has, is demonstrated, that is, a perfect righteousness. You and I cannot do it. We cannot keep the ten commandments. And so, but God sets this up for his people uh, for the commandments have to do with man's relationship with God. That is worship. That is uh, our relationship toward him. Six of the commandments have to do with man toward man or how we are to treat others, our neighbors. And so uh, the commandments uh, are perfect. The only one who kept the law perfectly was the incarnate Christ. Now, I want, you to sh- I want to show you a picture of mercy here uh, in Exodus 25, verse 8. Quote, then have them make a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them. Here is the mercy of God. Here is... Uh, and, and and it is here we have a wonderful picture of God's heart 
toward us. So mercy is compassion or forgiveness that is shown towards someone uh, whom it is in one's power to punish or harm. The word mercy is closely uh, along the lines of clemency. But clemency is a legal mechanism for granting a person convicted of a criminal offense relief from a court-ordered sentence or punitive measure. God says in his word to his people when they uh, violated his word and when they were not following uh, what he had told them to do, God said, Hosea 6.6, 6, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. In Matthew 9.13, we have the same words. God says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. In Matthew 12, 18, 12, uh, 12, 7, God said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So here we see, uh, reveal for us the heart of God. The fact that God would dwell among, uh, dwell among his people in this manner. Now, in, in chapter 24 of Exodus, verse 1, we read, quote, and I'm going to read down. Then he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance. But Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. So first, God, God instructs his people as to uh, who he is, his holiness, the fact that uh, uh, he will not tolerate the presence of sin because of who he is. But God allowed Moses uh, to approach him. And please keep in mind that Moses is a type of Jesus. So in verse 3, when Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said we will do. Then Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. Notice, so here there is a verbal ratification of this covenant or contract with God. And so most of these people uh, who had come out of Egypt, uh, they were slaves, so they had no uh, little of any education. But upon hearing what Moses had to say, they, the, their response with one voice we read, Everything the Lord has said we will do. And so that was a binding contract, a binding agreement that they made with God. And they, uh, so they are now his people. He is their suzerain. He is their leader. And so uh, this covenant is irrevocable. And God uh, having made this contract with his people, uh, is not going uh, to settle 
uh, when they go into apostasy, first of all, God already knew. Uh, God, God is not going to cast off his ancient people whom he foreknew. Paul uh, tells us this in the book of Romans. See, God doesn't throw away. That is not who he is. He is not a God who, who throws away. He doesn't throw us away. And because we have the reality of and the assurance that God will, not, uh, will never leave us nor forsake us, uh, neither throw us away, but he is, uh, he is going to finish what he has started in our lives. Now, uh, there are believers who, because of certain events that have occurred in their lives or in the past, uh, they know God, they have a relationship with God, but there are some aspects of their lives uh, that they find unforgivable, and they find themselves unable to forgive uh, themselves for certain events that they believe they could have prevented or they allowed to happen or they should have said something. And so that is weighing them down. Now, these believers can simultaneously say, I believe that in the mercy of God. And if you ask, they will say, well, yes, I believe uh, that, God, that God is merciful toward me or has been has shown his mercy in my life. But at the same time, they hold this unbiblical belief that there is something about me or in my life that is unforgivable. And the enemy will use that as a base of operation to get into the life of the believer and so overthrow it. Now, this is what Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. So, and I'm going to read verses 13 and 14. Quote, and you, being dead in your sin and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him. That is, hath he made alive. Having forgiven all your, you all trespasses, blotting out or wiping out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Now, this language is very important to understand because this is, uh, here Paul is dealing with uh, a very important uh, legal uh, principle that believers need to really grasp. So, this was a debt. This was, in other words, an I-O-U. Now, which the, uh, the believer could, there's no way uh, that the believer could make this situation right. Why? Because, verse 13, we're dead in, trust, uh, dead in sin. And so this was a condemnation 
and therefore uh, meant meant that one was deserving of punishment. So Jesus knew this. And Jesus did what? He wiped it out. Verse 14. He wiped it clean. Verse 14. Which was contrary to us and took it out of the way nailing it to his cross. So if you say or you know someone who says, well, I believe in the mercy of God. Look, this has to be more than a mere intellectual assent. The Holy Spirit of God can make real to you God's complete forgiveness. It cannot happen through human effort. It cannot happen through the mind of the flesh. It cannot happen through uh, human volition. It can only happen, that is, we come to believe in the mercy of God and the fact that what we think would be unforgivable or something in our lives that we that would not be deserving of mercy, God has already taken care of it. And only the Holy Spirit can give you that blessed assurance that you or what you believe or what you've tried to hide in your life, something that has made you fearful or believe that there's no way you can have a full life, that is not biblical. We have the mercy of God demonstrated for us. God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you know how wonderful this is? The freedom that God uh, offers us, the, and this is exclusive. Only God can offer this kind of freedom. Personalities that have been shattered by certain individuals. People who have been set on a course of self-destruction because someone who was also wounded and dead in their sins touched that life in a way that ruined that life. God can make that life brand new. I've seen him do it. And if you're struggling with believing that God loves you or God, uh, you say God could in no way receive me or have mercy upon me because of what I have done. Let me tell you that you really need to study the scripture and you really need to come to God and, and then you will come to know how big God is. The magnitude of his love for you is beyond imagination. He can do exceeding 
abundantly above all that we ask or think. But you have to come to him and you have to believe that God is going to meet you where you are when you confess to him and tell him what you have been holding on to, what secret, what lie, what lies, what darkness that you have not allowed him to take out of your life. Because you and I know what our darkness is. We, We know. And so there is shame. There is bitterness. There is regret. There is self-rejection. And when we reject ourselves, uh, we will in turn reject others within within our peripherally because of self-rejection. When you accept yourself, when you believe in your heart all that God has done for you, then Everything is going to change. Your relationship with yourself and others is going to be manifest in a certain way. Your fellowship with God will change. Your prayer will change and your praise will change because now you have received his grace and you have stopped rejecting his love. You stop saying, I'm too bad, I'm too unworthy, who would want me, God would never want me, and so, or I've been, my life has been so shattered and messed up that before uh, you reject me, I'm going to reject myself first and then uh, say, well, I knew that it was going to end this way anyway. And so we set ourselves up for failure. And certain things will detonate in our lives when we don't allow God, through his Holy Spirit, to do the work that he has come to do. God loves you. And God has demonstrated his mercy for you. Jesus shed his blood on Calvary's tree for you and for me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. When we study doctrine, we become richer spiritually. We grow in wisdom and knowledge. This is what uh, Colossians 2 reads. Colossians 2, 3, quote, In him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, that is, in Christ. Verse 6, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. But when you grasp the mercy of God and the Holy Spirit enlightens your mind and your heart and you begin to grow up in him, then you begin to understand in in greater depth the mercy of God. Once again, what is mercy? Compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. 
man went into the temple, the New Testament, and he would not so much as lift up his head, but he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. But the man next to him, the proud man, the proud heart, the arrogant man went into the temple and said, Lord, I'm glad I'm not as other men. I'm glad I'm not, I don't do what others do. But the penitent heart said, God, be merciful, or Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. God says, once again, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Hosea 6, 6. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Matthew 9:13 and Matthew 12:7. This is the heart of God is the new reality uh, that God has brought here for us. When you look out upon the world out into the world, what, what do you read? What do you see? What do you hear? You don't hear words like mercy or compassion or grace or kindness. You don't hear those kind of words or fellowship. You hear words like divide. You hear words like separate. You hear words like division. And who... Who uses those words? It is the enemy, the enemy of our soul. And that is the devil. He wants to divide. The name devil means one who divides people for no reason. Diabolos. Diabolos. You have the prefix dia, D-I-A. And then you have bolos, or mean, which means to throw. So he divides, and, he, uh, and it also means to, to throw or to launch uh, a, a, a rock or stone through something, or to pierce through. This is what he does. And look at what he's doing today to lie. And look at the language as the media controls language. Look at what they want people to become, angry, bitter, suspicious. They don't want people to extend love and compassion and mercy. Look at our streets. Look at all the homeless, the growing homeless. Just look at all this stuff that has been created in order to do harm. God says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. In the devil's world, there is no such thing as mercy. But in the word of God, there is mercy for you and me. We go and stand beneath the cross of Jesus and just look up 
at that cross and, and see what the world has done and what the world did to, to our Savior. And when we go back to the, uh, and when we think about uh, what Jesus has done for us, you know, it should create humility in our souls because God has been merciful to us. Notice the word mercy and then merciful. And so we need to extend mercy to our brothers and sisters. But if you don't listen to the word, if you don't practice the truth, and you only want to see harm done to others, then there's something going on there that that needs to be addressed. Jesus said, I come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so... Even the hardened Pharisees, our Lord, in, in, in John chapter 3, when he was speaking and talking to Nicodemus, he said, you should know these things, Nicodemus, that God, God has said, what, I'm doing a new thing, and then God says, I'm going to replace their hard hearts with a heart of flesh. I'm going to make a new covenant, a new contract. I'm going to be doing something new for for all. So has God shown you mercy? And if God has shown you mercy, and I know he has, then that mercy needs to propagate it. That mercy needs to be seen in your actions. Toward others. It's so inconvenient to serve others, isn't it? Think about it, the incarnation. Think about that chest, the acacia wood. And think about the fact that it was overlaid with gold. Think about what God did. God did not merely look on the human condition and wish he could do something, God took action. We're to take action when we see that others are being harmed. If we know that we can do a good work somewhere, then if we are, if we are led by the Lord, then we should do that good work. Words that God has placed you, and you may reject. You may say, I don't want to go into that ministry. I don't want to, want to do that. But God is calling you, and, and you're in, his, in the body of Christ, and God wants to use you in service in a particular way. Now is the time to stand up. You see what is going on in the world. Many need you. You need to stand up and teach and preach about the mercy that God has shown in your life. Start with that message. Don't be fearful and let God use you. And then God will show you great blessings and the greatness of his power through your life. Good evening. My name is Josiah Rich and God bless.